Hey, it's Monique. Welcome to the podcast or welcome back. This is episode 182 of the Brown Vegan Podcast. And with this show, I love to present veganism from a practical perspective to help everyday people go vegan in a way that feels good to them. I also love to share overall wellness topics, money, mental health, and entrepreneurship because this is truly a lifestyle. Veganism is so much more than food. Be sure to come hang out with me on Instagram and on YouTube. I'm Brown Vegan on both of those platforms. So yes, I hope you're having an amazing day. I feel nice and refreshed. I actually did not record this intro right after episode 181 like I thought I would, but I'm glad I waited because it's the next day. I'm here drinking my AG1 from Athletic Greens. I didn't make my fresh green juice this morning. I made this instead. It's really convenient. A little shaker and some water and powder. Drinking that. And like I told you guys, I just getting that out just made me feel so much better. Just, you know, put it out. Like I said, I hope I didn't dump on you guys. That wasn't the plan. I'm so grateful for the progress that I've made in my life thus far. But, you know, sometimes we have doubts about that. You know, sometimes we think we should be further ahead. But then at the same time, it's like, why would I expect to be further ahead if, you know, I took a break for like three years from a lot of the content that I was creating at the time. So, I definitely feel more positive about things. That's for sure. I definitely feel really good. And I'm actually working on a plan to get things in order to start to carve out the type of life that I want and deserve. And so I'm going to talk more about those in future solo episodes, because as I grow and learn, I definitely want to share that with you guys. I hope you're interested in that. So yeah, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, go listen to episode 181 of the show, which is the one right before this one. So yeah, we are here with a conversation today. I have Farmer Nick on the show. You guys probably know Nick from Instagram. His handle over there is Farmer Nick. He is a plant coach, urban gardener, and landscaper. This conversation was really good because we talked a lot about why he decided to become a vegan and how he truly believes that plants are the stepping stones to a more plant-based life. In our chat, we talk a lot about growing your own food and sustainable living. And he even gave me a suggestion for a plant that I should consider buying as someone who always kills my plants, okay? I am just not like my dad. My dad always has had a garden. My mom always has beautiful plants in the house and I've never been able to take over that gene. So (laughs) I've never been able to do that for myself. So yes, as always, you can get the show notes and everything we mentioned in this episode at brownvegan.com. Go follow Farmer Nick on Instagram and check out his website as well. He has a lot of good articles on plant life and sustainable living there. So yeah, before we get into the episode, I have to tell y'all that I am so excited to be working with Zencaster. They're going to be a new sponsor for the show. I'm going to tell you more about them in a little bit, but they really do help me get these remote interviews done. And as someone who is not the most tech savvy, I really, really enjoy this software. They make life so much easier. I'm going to put their discount link in our show notes. And of course, stay tuned because I'm going to tell you more about why I love them so much. So yeah, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into the conversation. For me, veganism came with the plants, right? You know, I became a a plant dad, as you would call it, back in (laughs) 2014 after graduating from college and started learning to grow my own food and care for houseplants. And then about three years into that journey, I said, you know what? Like, if I care so much about plants and the environment and the animals in that environment, why aren't I eating the plants in this, in this space? Like why, why does it have to be, you know, a boundary between the two? And I have tried to become as close to hundred percent plant as possible in all things in life that I do. 
Yeah. So it's it's amazing how the plants led you to here. I have to I feel like there has to be something else though, because a lot of times in our lives the seeds a seeds about veganism and just health and wellness are like planted along the way. Mm. So how did it how was your childhood as far as the way you ate and the way you lived? So growing up it was always healthy. Mom was an amazing, still is an amazing chef, always had salad at dinner, always had fruits and vegetables available. And that that I recognize as a privilege, right? We were far from food insecure. So mm-hmm. having that background growing up and also knowing how to cook, like yeah. being able to be in the kitchen with mom and have her teach me different techniques and everything, that is a huge factor for folks who are transitioning to a plant-based diet. Because I always joke like, how many ways can you make chickpeas, right? It's like hummus <laughs> and chickpea tuna and chickpea cookie dough and roasted. Like if you don't know those techniques, you're less likely to have fun with it. So having that background with food and health was really big for me. And then as an adult, I kind of like lost it along the way when you go to college because you got the dining hall and you got your you know, college athlete friends who are making fun of the meatless Monday people, right? Like that was what mm-hmm. I lived. And it was all about protein, this, this, and that. But I think having that background growing up and mom's influence especially helped me transition as an adult because I was confident in myself in the kitchen and I knew how to make great flavor profiles and do things like that. So after, and it was also after watching Cowspiracy, I was like, I gotta, I gotta make a change. Okay. Because yeah. even if you don't do everything overnight, Cowspiracy definitely does a great job of Oh, <laughs> of it's going to hit you hard. There, there's no exactly. way around it. Yeah. Were you motivated by any other documentaries that you saw along the way? Or was that the one that just kind of, okay, I'm done. Cowspiracy was big, but since then, you know, even as a plant-based person now going on four or five years, the Game Changers documentary was so awesome because that gave me some I don't want to say firepower against my old college teammates, but like, be like, hey, listen, guys, if you want to lift and be fit and, you know, break records, do whatever you got to do, you can do it on a plant-based diet. In fact, you might be able to do it better on a plant-based diet, depending on some of the, you know, bodily things that are going on in your, your older age that are inhibiting you from performing in that way. And it's really cool to see athletes like Chris Paul in the NBA who, you know, pushing towards 36, 37 years old, who changed their career and turned back the clock since going plant-based. So seeing some of those examples from a performance context were really, really valuable for me. Yeah, I always recommend that one for men because I know sometimes you guys get a different type of pushback that women receive about this being vegan. So it's a great documentary. I absolutely agree about that. So let's talk about some of the things that you did when you first started your lifestyle. I know that, of course, you had, you know, the history of cooking and things like that. What were some of your meals from when you were growing up that you felt like you had to veganize? Because I feel like we all have that. We have some meals that we're just like, okay, this is going to work if I can get this right. So did you have any of those? Yeah. So two two meals in particular. Number one, mom would make this, this tuna pasta dish with, and it sounds kind of funny. It was my favorite thing in the world. It was just penne pasta with all these vegetables mixed in and tuna. And it was my favorite <laughs> thing to eat. I, you put some balsamic vinegar on it. Oh, I could put balsamic vinegar on cardboard and I'd eat it. But this was a dish that I used to love. It was every birthday. So simple, so easy. And I was like, wait, like what if I could make chickpea tuna and do that instead? 
And chickpea tuna is a real simple recipe, basically just throwing some chickpeas in the food processor, lightly kind of breaking those up and throwing in wakame flakes and other spices that you would associate with more of a fish kind of dish that you would have. Dill is also big there. And making that for the first time vegan was just awesome. That was so much fun. Mm -hmm. But that was an easy one. A harder one for me, like going out, growing up in New York, you know, we go see a Broadway show, you know, every year for, for Christmas. And we'd always eat in the Broadway district and restaurants there are very Italian, very old school. And chicken parm was one of my favorite, favorite things. Now, chicken parm vegan is hard because the cheese, getting that to melt the right way and being able to find a substitute for the actual chicken breast, like that was harder for me. But my eggplant parm game now is unbeatable. The cheese is still hard to do to get it the same consistency, but a nice cashew cheese that's blended and whipped with a little nutritional yeast. Oh, it's beautiful. Look at you. I love it. <laughs> you know, the, the cool thing about your brand and just your business is that you were a plant dad before plant dad was cool. Because <laughs> <laughs> seriously, because I feel like the pandemic is one of those, <laughs> one of the things that came out of the pandemic is so many people who were not into gardening, who were not mm. into house plants. They definitely picked up that hobby. So has your business, I know, I'm sure your brand, your business has really exploded since the pandemic with people wanting you to come in and install for them and design for them spaces and learn more about plants. You are, plants you are not wrong. You are not wrong. <laughs> it, it has been a wild ride. I mean, I started gardening back in 2014 and, you know, I don't, I didn't have any friends who were into this. There were so few people and yeah, no. <laughs> role models that I had that have been doing this for a while. I mean, I think back to kind of the the OGs in the plant space, Kevin from Epic Gardening, Hilton from Hilton Carter, Daryl, Houseplant Journal. Like there were people out there, but it was early stage of content creation, especially in the plant world. And being kind of a part of that second wave with some of those other New York plant parents was so much fun. And since that point, the pandemic really kind of showed how much we need nature, both inside and out. And that was either people who were stuck inside and couldn't leave and want to bring nature in, or those that actually left cities and left their apartments and bought, you know, areas that had land for the first time. And they're calling me saying, hey, I've never had a backyard. What can I grow? What can I grow that I can eat? The edible gardening side of the business really took off because people were unsure of what would be at the supermarket. And, you know, being able to connect with their food at a different level through growing is one of the best gifts you can give somebody. Mm -hmm. I love it. So when did you decide to start your business as far as going in and helping other people? Because you're a plant coach. Yeah. <laughs> so I know on social media, you talk a lot about houseplants, but I know that this is your work as well, you know, understanding their spaces and teaching people how to do that. So when did you decide to start that? I'm just curious about it. We don't have to go too deep yeah. into it unless you want to, but I was just curious about that. So the idea of a plant coach kind of came about uh, I was working a corporate job still in New York, working for IBM and a couple other startups at the time. And I had been amassing a plant collection at home. And a friend of mine said, hey, you know, why don't you why don't you share this on Instagram? And I was like, oh, that's crazy. Guys don't do Instagram. Who's going to care about my plants? <laughs> I started doing it and started getting people asking about it. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get a few DMs saying, hey, you know, can you come over and help me with my space? You know, I've got a balcony. I've got a terrace. I've got a beautiful window that needs something. 
And it just kind of started happening, dare I say, organically. And <laughs> it was, it just did not stop. Like I got about a hundred clients in New York before I left for LA and they range from full on landscapes and backyards, upstate New York to, Hey, I've got a, a one room apartment, but I've got beautiful light. How can I bring nature inside for me? So yeah. that is kind of how the business runs. And, you know, I've got the team in New York, which has been great. And I've got clients out here in LA now, but it is, it is hard being a small team, but we're, we're, we're fun and we're flexible. So it makes it worth it. I love it. So what are you, what are you the most passionate about? Are you most passionate about the house plants or the actual growing your food? Yeah. As far as even if you have like a bat, a patio or balcony garden, is that, is that like a weird question to ask you? Cause I'm sure you're probably passionate about no, both of them, but which no. one do you know that you lean the most into? Yeah. I, I'm very honest about this because you know, a lot of people will see the houseplant content, but that is a, a very firm second place on the hierarchy here. Because for me, uh-huh. growing food, building empathy for farmers and our food system, being able to do so in a conscious way that puts our environment first, those are the things that I am truly, truly passionate about. Now, is that possible for everybody? No. But I believe that a houseplant is the first step right? That's Mm -hmm. that stepping stone, that botanical bridge that's going to get somebody to realize, you know what? Like I I could take care of a couple of houseplants. Maybe I should try some herbs on my windowsill. And then they try that. And then they say, you know what? These are pretty great. Maybe I'm going to shop at the farmer's market more. Then they go shop at the farmer's market. And then all of a sudden they see the people with their reusable produce bags and they say, oh, I could be plastic free. Like it's a, it's just a stepping stone to all these other eco-focused behaviors And I'm convinced that if I can get you to care about the small plant on your desk, I can convince you to care about the giant plant we all live on. And Mm. a big part of that is learning to grow your food and understanding how hard it can be in in just your own backyard and building some more empathy for the folks that do this every day. Oh, I love this so much, Nick. So I know that you, of course, mentioned that you can start with just growing herbs like, you know, basil. I like growing microgreens on my counter. Mm. So that type of start, I know because it's so nutritionally dense. I've had some guests on the show who really, who really inspired me in that way. So what other suggestions do you have as far as people starting? Because I know that that is the the hardest part for a lot of people. They're thinking, okay, I definitely want to grow, start growing my own food. Maybe I don't have the space or I'm not sure if I really want to invest the amount of time that it's going to take to get everything going. Is it as long of a process as some people may think or what are your suggestions when it comes to that? Well, you know, from growing microgreens, you could have plenty of microgreens in seven to 10 days, which is great. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that the biggest thing when folks are considering growing at home, be it indoors or in small outdoor spaces is figuring out, A, what do you like to eat? Because so often people grow things and they're like, you know what? I actually don't like the taste of cilantro. It tastes like dish soap to me. So like, why would you grow it? But you'd be surprised. So find out what you like to eat and then double down on the plants that don't require pollination. And what I mean by that is your fruiting body. So if you're doing tomatoes or zucchini or whatever has a flower, you have to hand pollinate those if you're doing it inside, unless you want to release bees into your home, which I imagine is probably wow. not, not <laughs> going to be well received by the other inhabitants in your in your ecosystem. But 
the idea is that if you can do herbs and leafy greens, things that are quick, 30 to 45 days to maturity or sooner if you're doing it young or seedlings or not seedlings, uh, microgreens, you can do a really good job of just growing something on a south facing window. And one of my favorite things to grow, I don't know if anyone's a green juice fan out there, but I'm drinking some right now. There you go. (laughs) Wheatgrass. You got to get into wheatgrass. Wheatgrass is so, so easy to do. You can harvest it multiple times. You'll see results in seven to 14 days. And it is just the healthiest thing you can add to your smoothie. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. Yeah. And I just got a new juicer, this cold press. So I think it'll be great for that. There you go. Oh, I love it. Thank you for that. Okay. So I know that, of course, your work, I feel like just let's talking to you for this little bit of time that you're incredibly passionate about farmers and just human rights as a whole, because I think that sometimes in this movement, we don't talk enough about that. It's a lot of focus on animal rights mm. and preserving our planet, which is so important. But I love that you keep bringing up farmers. So can you just share you what, where that came from for you and just any other part of that that you want to share for our listeners as far as why that's such an important part of your work and and how you, your philosophy about this and mm. Whatever you want to share. Totally. So for me, it really started when I fully understood how difficult it was to grow food. And I'd always been a foodie guy. As I mentioned, I love to cook, love to go out to eat, all these things. And then being able to taste the fruits of my labor, the literal fruits of my labor for the first time, I was like, man, this is amazing. But it's really hard to do. And to do it at scale, to feed a nation of hundreds of millions of people, that is what I really wanted to understand more about. And to see these farmers, which most people, when they think farmer, they're thinking straw hat and overalls and a Southern accent and all this stuff. And it's just not true. You know, these farmers and having, you know, now volunteered on, you know, multiple, multiple farms in the U.S. and some even abroad, these are scientists. These are people who are tracking things meticulously with new technology, who care very deeply about the plants and the environment and the changing environment that they're experiencing. And to see the lengths that they go to keep us properly fed is unbelievable. And when you look into the deeper layers of that regarding migrant workers and workers' rights, you know, and I only went to the farms that were good, right? I'm not going to commercial factory farms. That is where you see so many injustices from a social standpoint. And, Absolutely. you know, I, seeing all this happen, especially during the pandemic, it exacerbated so many issues. And for me, it's like, how can we, A, decentralize the food system so that there are more smaller farms out there, more local farms, more farms run by people of color, and be able to support those farms as opposed to relying on these big farms, which are not always reliable when we experience something like a pandemic. So land access rights are huge. And being able to just showcase those stories is very, very important to me. Yeah, I love this so much. It's so, so important. Like I said, I feel like this part of the movement isn't talked about enough. I want to talk to you too about sustainability because I know that's a big part of the work that you do and a big big part of your brand. Can you tell me what does sustainability mean to you? Like a sustainable lifestyle, what does that mean to you? Oof. It's it's always changing, but 
to me right now, a sustainable lifestyle is one where you are doing more for the planet than you are taking away. You're giving more. And some might rebrand that as regenerative, right? Because if we're sustaining a system that doesn't work, it doesn't really make sense. It defeats the purpose. So Mm -hmm. my goal has always been, how can I leave the world greener than when I found it? So Mm. with that, it comes with a lot of individual behavior, such as cutting back on my single-use plastics, obviously eating vegan. I drive a electric vehicle, which I love. And these are all steps as an individual that I can take. Now, is this the you know, end all be all. Did I solve climate change? <laughs> Absolutely not. There are forces that be that are, you know, very much out of the individual's control. But until we as individuals reflect the change that we want to see, we, we need to do those individual actions. Like people say, oh, it's, but it's the corporations, it's the fossil fuel companies. I'm like, yes, it is. But if 10% of the population decided, you know what, I'm not going to eat meat anymore they would adjust, they would change. And you're seeing it now. I don't know if you watched the Super Bowl, but there's all of a sudden six car commercials for electric vehicles. I never (laughs) saw that before. And that's because of consumers driving that forward. So never underestimate the power of your individual action. That is the biggest thing for me. But also being able to support the organizations that are tackling policy. I know it's not the sexiest thing in the world. It's much more fun to talk about not using plastic straws, but supporting policymakers and lawyers who are tackling the environmental crisis and the social justice challenges associated with it. I do a fundraiser every year for Earth Justice, which is an amazing organization. But supporting those groups that are able to make large-scale change at the policy level is so, so vital. Thank you for saying that, because that's so true, because we can support financially like that, like your fundraiser. And we can also support by voting for people who are mindful like we are as far as sustainable living. So, yeah, so important to tackle it at the government level for sure. So I'm hopping in to thank Zencaster for sponsoring this episode of the show. They're an all-in-one podcast production suite that gives you quality studio audio and video without the technical know-how. This is a full circle moment because over a year ago, when I started working with my podcast editor, Daniel, he suggested that we switch over to Zencaster for stellar quality. And I'm so glad he did because it is so easy to use and super, super consistent. So if you don't know, none of my guests are in studio with me when I record my show. So we have to do everything remotely. And to ensure that the quality is good, all I do is send them a link to Zencaster. They don't have anything to download. They come in and we record. Podcasting already has like a million moving parts. So knowing that I'll always be able to record and not have any issues with the quality of the show is just one less thing to worry about. I always tell you guys to start a podcast. So if you are ready to do that, make sure that you go over to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use the promo code BROWNVEGAN to save 30% off of your first three months. Once again, that is Zencaster, Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com slash pricing, discount code BROWNVEGAN as one word. I'll make sure that I link it to the show notes for this episode for you guys as well, so it's easy for you to click through. Another thing, too, is that 
a lot of times with people who are very mindful as far as, like you said, sustainable living. And, I, and that's how I look at sustainable living as well. It's like, okay, what can I do to reduce how I show up and what do I take from the planet? Like, how do I do that? And for me, the biggest part has been veganism. And I noticed that sometimes I'm not as active in the other areas as far as reducing my plastic and things like that. Mm. So I want to know, how do you, how do you balance like sustainable choices without feeling guilty or feeling kind of like going crazy because sometimes it can feel like (laughs) it can really feel like that i mean you can go down a rabbit hole and stay there for a little while oh i've been there i I live in the rabbit (laughs) hole sometimes and it is it is not a good place to be but I, i think to your point it's about picking your battles and picking what you can control the most so for me in my business there is unavoidable waste in my gardening and landscaping business And that's kind of ironic, right? Because you're advocating for the earth through its consumption. And there are things like nursery pots that are plastic and are not conventionally recyclable. There are issues related to plants coming in from overseas. Many people will be bringing in plants that they don't necessarily know, you know, what's happening in those native ecosystems where those plants are coming from. There's a big issue right now in the plant space around peat and peat bogs being destroyed. And they're one of the biggest carbon sequesters in the world in terms of ecosystems. So there's a lot of factors that you can control and some that you can't. Peat, for example, there are many peat alternatives and many ways to avoid that. But for example, if you're trying to you know, do this work and travel and showcase farmers and do different landscape work that's going to inspire people, you're still getting on a plane. You know, I travel far, far too much. It's definitely the area of my life that has the most emissions. And I've, I've accepted that, right? There, there's not much I can do in terms of cutting that back. And I do try and balance and, you know, batch trips together, but I do offset all my emissions and I look for other areas in my life where I'm really in control, like my diet, like my purchasing, you know, going to shop at, you know, vintage stores and charity shops and those kinds of places. Those are the areas where I can make my impact because I know that I'm not perfect in many other areas of my life. Absolutely. I love that response because it is very, very easy to feel like all of your effort isn't doing anything. And then you, and some people give up because of that. So I love that you're very clear about what you're picking your battles with and you're just growing from there. And also, I just feel like a lot of your travel and a lot of your work is inspiring other people to make better differences in their lives as well, like better better choices. So it's worth it. You know, it's not like you're just hopping on a plane, just going somewhere for no reason. It's it's because you're teaching people. So that's Absolutely. very, very important. And I know that you have like a replace, you have different replacement guides as far as like home goods and personal care, kitchen products, things like that. I want to talk about your process as far as when it comes to buying secondhand or just buying personal care products overall? Mm. Like, what does that look like as far as reducing your consumption? It's a good question. And it's one where I'm always testing the boundaries of what is deemed socially acceptable. Right? Just no, keep it real. <laughs> you know, like I, I literally, it's so funny. Last year, I was like, oh, you know, I need some more athletic socks. And I went on eBay and I ordered socks. And my roommates were like, you ordered what on eBay? I'm like, yeah, I just ordered socks. Is that a problem? And they freaked out. They were like, oh my God, how could you do that? That's so gross. That's disgusting. 
like you're going to wash it anyway, right? It's not a big deal. But, you know, those are the kinds of things where it's like, okay, like what can I do that's not going to alienate people and not make them think, whoa, like that is, that is too much for too me. Far. Because yeah. my, my whole thing on Instagram is especially, it's I don't want to turn someone off because I feel like I'm going so far above and beyond what is expected and quote unquote normal. And if someone saw that and said, you know what? I could never be sustainable because I would never get my socks from eBay. I'm not going to do anything now, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's what I want to avoid. So for me, it's always showing what is the easiest first step. And once I get you there, once you take that first step, you know, it's not so bad. And for me, you know, one of the things I always recommend is go shopping at a consignment store or a vintage shop, pick out something awesome and then get it tailored. And mm -hmm. what I love, I love that for a couple of reasons. Number one, you're not getting anything net new into the system. That's great. Saving resources. And then number two, you're supporting a local business and supporting these tailors and making something that fits really custom and great and awesome. And I tell people all the time, like, listen, you could buy a thousand dollar suit, but if it doesn't fit you as well as my $300 tailored suit that I got secondhand, who's going to look better at the end of the day, right? Okay. And Seriously. That's, that's a big piece for me is because clothing is something we don't talk nearly enough about. I know there's a lot of people in sustainable fashion, but in the plant community and the vegan community, you know, there's a lot of resources that go into that. And essentially, if you break it down to its core, our clothes are basically just plants that we grew for different purposes. So <laughs> if we can shift our mindset that way, I think we'll see a lot of other behaviors taking place. And clothing is a great way to express yourself and get started. Oh, I love that. Yes, yes, yes. That's so good. That's so good. So what about your personal care items? Like how do you, how do you approach that as far as maybe deodorant, your skincare, any of those type of, you know, personal hygiene items? How does that look for you? Personal hygiene can be tricky because everyone's got different, you know, skin issues and hair issues that they're trying to, you know, make customized to themselves. So for me, I, I battle eczema. And eczema is something where a lot of these natural dyes or, you know, just like scents and everything that are in a lot of these traditionally plastic-free packaging don't always work for me. And that can actually make mm -hmm. it worse. So I would always say just health first, right? Make sure you're doing something that's not going to make your life miserable. But aside from that, I, I love shopping at Atik. They're, I believe they're in New Zealand. They're a company that does completely plastic-free packaging for different body scrubs and shampoo, conditioner. They've got face lotions, really, really solid. And their company offsets 120% of the emissions of their entire company. So wow. in terms of walking in the walk, they're, they're doing that in many more ways than just selling a product. Love that company. Love I also yeah. love the company Bite. They make the toothpaste tablets which is oh, always fun. Yeah. Those are great. And, you know, I'm seeing a lot of people starting to switch over to those very kind of like the baking soda style flavor in that. And they also make deodorant packages. So they'll send you deodorant cartridges and cardboard that you insert into their aluminum little canister. And those are refillable without needing plastic. So those are a couple of good companies that, you know, I work with. And then one that's interesting, and this is, you know, it's not fully plastic free yet, but I work with Tom's of Maine as well, kind of their sustainability council, helping them transition to some of these more plastic free methods. And the reason why I think that's important is because change needs to come from both sides. Like if you're just supporting the small companies, 
without trying to help the big companies change, you're lessening your impact. Because if I can get a big company to change 1% of what they're doing, that could be huge in dramatic Mm -hmm. effects. So they've been really great in having discussions with me and the other people in this council to talk about these issues and talk about their environmental stewardship and how they're trying to push forth these initiatives, both from a social justice side and a product side. So that is really exciting as well. Man, your activism is A1. I love it. See, <laughs> I I like this. This is where real change happens. I absolutely love it. You know, we can all go on the front line and protest, but I feel like this is the type of work that really, really makes long-term change um, for all of us and our children and our grandchildren. So I thank you for it. I hope you're right. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay, I got to go back to the, the houseplants because here's the thing, Nick. I can't Uh-oh. keep any. They Uh-oh. all die. They all die. <laughs> they all die. My mom is so good with her plants. She doesn't really even do anything, but just kind of remembers to water them. And they always look so beautiful and nice. And then she'll be like, oh, yeah. She'll give me a plant. And then she'll ask me how it's doing. And I'm, I'm embarrassed because it didn't survive. So <laughs> what, what plant <laughs> should I start with? Everybody always says the snake plant, but I don't really like the way they look. They don't look as fun. Yeah, I mean, snake plant's the easy choice, right? Yeah, but we don't want that. We don't want to start out that easy. That's too basic for us. I, I would I had recommend, a cactus and I killed that too. Cat, well, cacti can be tricky. It can be tricky sometimes. Yeah. I would recommend a ZZ plant. Like this one is as sturdy as it gets. I water it when I remember. It's got you know these nice kind of oval, small leaves that are very thick and waxy. They can handle a lot of stress. Not that we want to mm-hmm. stress out our plants, right? But overall, I think that when it comes to plant care, and you mentioned your mom not doing seemingly very much for these plants, it's a philosophy that I've kind of coined mindful neglect. And, (laughs) you know, it's something that makes you chuckle a little bit, right? But it's the idea that you're being aware of everything happening in your ecosystem, but you're not overbearing. You're not a helicopter Mm. plant parent. And Some might say that mindful neglect is a good tool for human relationships as well, because (laughs) we need to learn how to survive and thrive on our own before Mm -hmm. we can become part of a unit. And oftentimes things struggle when we overreact and we make too many changes at once. And if you view your home as an ecosystem, right, you pull one string in an ecosystem, it can affect so many other things happening around you. So for me, mindful neglect, checking with plants, making sure things are good. And if they're not making one change at a time, instead of freaking out and doing 10 things at once is usually going to set you up for success. I love it. So you're, you sound like the kind of plant dad that's not sitting there talking to your plants. Oh, that's not true. <laughs> that, that is not true. I talk to them all the time, whether they're listening, oh, okay. I don't know, but it's more so a fun exercise for me to anthropomorphize the plants a bit. And this is a term which, you know, botanists and scientists in that community will say is is something you shouldn't do to plants. Basically, you're assigning them human characteristics, plants or animals. And the reason I disagree so strongly with this disdain for anthropomorphism is because if it takes you naming your plant, talking to your plant, giving it, you know, feelings and human emotions – to care more about it, why is that bad? Like, I, I think, you know, it goes back to the idea that if you lived on a farm, you don't name the animals, 
right? Because something's mm-hmm. going to happen to them down the line. And because people know if they name them, they're going to develop an attachment to them. And yeah. if you naming your dog, naming your cat, naming your ZZ plant helps you build empathy for those other beings in your world, I think that is a beautiful thing. It might not mm-hmm. be the most scientifically you know, accurate or best thing to do from that perspective, but from a conservation and a just overall sense of connectedness perspective, I think there's nothing better. Mm, I love that. This has been such a pleasure. I'm so glad that we finally had a chance to connect through Ashley. She's amazing. <laughs> and you have to let us know how we can follow you on Instagram. I feel like most of my listeners already follow you, but if they don't, I would follow you on Instagram and your website and whatever else you want to do to want us to do to support you. Yeah, it's just Farmer Nick on Instagram, same as the website. And I also have a weekly newsletter that goes out called the Growing Green Newsletter, which covers every topic from gardening to houseplants to plant-based food and the environment. So if you're interested in any of those things, definitely give that a subscribe. Thank you. And I'll make sure that I include everything on the blog post at brownvegan.com to all of your links. So thank you so much. And I hope we can chat again soon or even meet in person. That would be great. I'd love that. Thank you so much, Monique. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the show. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts to make it easy for others to find us. Also, tell a friend. Be sure to share the episode on your Instagram stories and tag Brown Vegan. Thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you next week. This podcast was made using Zencaster. Be sure to go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use the promo code BROWNVEGAN to save 30% off of your first three months. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.